0: Is it the actual effort of sticking to a plan, the cooking and the meal planning, the exercise routine, not enough time for everything you think you need to do or the confusion of it all? If you said yes to any of these obstacles, then keep listening to learn how you can smash these problems just by checking your email. You check your email inbox every day already. But what if checking your inbox brought you better health instead of the stress it sometimes can bring? Well, I have news for you. You can improve your health, get a jump start on improving your health conditions and start to feel like a better version of you just by checking your email inbox over the next five days when you join the free Nourish and Flourish five-day challenge. You'll get health tips, actionable videos, a goal and habit tracker, and healthy recipes every day for five days. Better health is the best investment you'll ever make. And this is only a small investment of your time. You have nothing to lose, but everything to gain. The Nourish and Flourish five-day challenge was designed to set the foundation for healthy habits for life. Say yes to yourself today and sign up now at drshayla.com Forward slash NF challenge. I'll also place these details in the show notes. The essence of health is in you. See you in your inbox on today's episode of the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. I have a special guest, Dr. Priscilla Hidalgo, or Dr. H, as her patients call her. Dr. H is a board certified and fellowship trained psychiatrist in private practice who serves patients in North Carolina and Florida from Raleigh, North Carolina. Her practice focuses on helping people with busy lives who are stressed and overwhelmed. She also has special interest in women's mental health and physician wellness. Welcome Dr. Hidalgo to the podcast. Thank you so much for
1: having me. I am so excited to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, same here, same here, of course. All right, so we'll dive right in. What are some of the mental health issues
1: that patients typically reach out to you? Yeah, most of the people that I see are people that have, as you were saying earlier, like really busy lives. They're moms, they're entrepreneurs, they're working a lot, so they don't really have like a lot of time to take care of themselves. But I would say the most frequent things that I see people for are number one, anxiety, depression, and usually feeling like they're not on top of their game is how a lot of people phrase it. Like they feel they have memory issues or like they cannot focus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Me being a family doctor, I I certainly see my fair share of those same concerns from patients too. And with COVID, even the studies that came out of that showed even more people than we previously saw were suffering from depression and anxiety. Have you seen kind of that same turn
1: in your practice? Yes, certainly. I think that the disruption of our routine and our daily life and a quarantine that initially many people thought this is just going to be this month, next two months. And then years later, we're still kind of recuperating from from the pandemic, I think really took a toll. And also people had to figure out ways to educate their kids, you know, and like basically run life when you're not able to get out of your home and how to work remotely, which doesn't work for everyone. And I I think the most thing the thing that I see the most that got really bad was the anxiety and and I think in some ways I I like to think about it how there was more anxiety when the pandemic was going on and I think as things got better I think there was another wave of increased anxiety and I think it was sort of like how do I feel comfortable around other people when I know that this illness is not completely gone So I know I have to be mindful of this and I still have to protect my family and loved ones. So kind of learning how to be social again, how to be comfortable again with other people, I think spiked up again.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I had never even thought of it from that perspective, but yeah, you're right. There was, yeah, before it was like, well, the anxiety, because we're all in the house and then it was anxiety. Oh, can I go back out of the house? So Yeah. (laughs) yeah, yeah. Okay, and now we often see how depression or anxiety may look with portrayals on television. However, you work with high-functioning professionals and we know that this can look different. So how do the symptoms of depression and anxiety tend to appear in high-functioning
1: women? I love how in commercials, you can see someone like with a dark cloud on top or just kind of looking like this and gray. And I honestly have rarely seen someone like that. It's usually the, I just kind of rinse and repeat my day. I don't necessarily feel excitement. I don't feel like things are going to get better in the future. So a lot of negative thoughts, kind of hopelessness, feeling tired a lot and feeling like you just don't have the mental bandwidth. to to kind of do things or be present with the people that you care about. I would say it's much more common than what they portray in in those commercials. I I know what they're trying to do, and, and I appreciate the effort. But also, you know, you have to think about the layer where not everybody's depression or anxiety looks the same. Not everybody with depression is like crying all the time. Most of the people that get referred to me that are Having this high functioning depression, it's usually this thing is like, no, I'm not depressed. Like they will never tell me they're depressed because they don't feel depressed. Now what they feel is just, you know, like I don't care if I live or die, you know, like nothing will really happen. Or for instance, it's like, you know what? I just feel, I mean, emotionally numb. You know, like I saw my kid taking a few steps, and yay but nothing really that I can experience that joy. And with anxiety, I think that people feel it more in their bodies. So people would complain more about aches and pains. Headaches is very common or like stomach issues, feeling like they cannot sleep or like their appetite is just kind of all over the place, whether that is overeating or not eating enough. Uh, and, And I think that people would describe it kind of this muscle tension that they just feel like their body's stressed, essentially. But if you ask them, they say, you know what? Yeah, I guess I'm stressed because, you know, life is difficult at times. So, but, but it's, it's kind of hard to make that connection at times. And another connection that I, I attempt to help patients see is also how substance use also kind of gets mixed in in this, you know, like that one drink after work turns into three and, and kind of how, you know, the habits that we do to try to make ourselves feel better and how it doesn't seem like they work as well, or they work for a little bit and then they just stop working.
0: Yeah, yeah, all of those things for sure. And then another thing I've found in high functioning professionals, like for us who have gone through medical training or even, you know, my friends who've gone through law training or uh, medical school is also attached to a vet school. So the veterinarians in training and you you're almost kind of taught. In a way to like hold all of those feelings inside when you are seeking these more high level professions of those sort, and so I wonder too if that. almost brings about this thing of where, like you said, people tell you, no, I'm not depressed because you're, you're taught mm-hmm. to hold that. Can't be in the middle of rounds and
1: crying,
0: you know, exactly.
1: <laughs> that's not going to go over well with your attending. <laughs> exactly. I mean, think about it. I mean, I, I, I that's one of the reasons why I love working with physicians and other people in healthcare. Because I also think that the way that we think about life is really distorted. and And I think we take pride in things that we shouldn't take pride in. You probably are familiar with like, when you were in medical school or residency, the person that stayed the longer at the library or the longer at the hospital, those people would get praise. Right. Yep. And, and I think this idea that whenever somebody's like, oh my God, you're doing it all, especially for women. Well, like, oh my gosh, you have family and you're working and you're doing all this stuff. It's amazing. You know, when I grow up, I want to be like you little do they know that the person, in, the person is thinking inside. It's like, you know what? I'm barely surviving, right? They're they're dying a little, you know, exactly. they're dying a little bit, but I think this idea of, of this or, or this value that we put on being resilient and that, you know, nothing bothers us and that we're doing great and everything is good. I can handle it all. I think that is one of those things that I also focus with patients. And then we try to work in therapy on how to start changing the way that we think about that is not an easy change because you're talking about changing yourself in the middle of a system or in the context where not everybody might think that way. But I think therapy can be very helpful to try to start making those changes so that we can start reframing the things that we value. Because when you value, you know, let's say, you know, I'm putting long work hours, I'm doing this and that. Chances are you're neglecting other parts of your life, right? So, so people often say, you know, I don't feel connected with my family. And it could be because you're like, oh my gosh, like, why are they taking time to do this when I could I could be building my website on this time? You know what I mean? So yeah. so then that kind of puts a little bit of a distance distance between you and the people that you care about. And they end up experiencing a lot of burnout and and feeling lonely. And when they try to connect with like-minded people, the same thing happens because that other person also thinks the same way. They're like, I don't want to connect with you because I have other stuff I want to do that is usually related to work
0: right yeah yeah that's for sure and so it sounds like you know it's almost a, a reprogramming if you will
1: of those things that have kind of you know been ingrained exactly exactly and and i think for women in particular is is hard because i think we you know and again, we can have like a healthy discussion about this, but the whole topic on its own. But like in the beginning, you know, women used, you know, early on, women used to just take care of the home, and they had to excel at home. Then we started working outside of the home, and now we have to excel at work, excel at home, and in that amount of pressure, it's it's hard to shake off. It's it's hard to say, you know, what I I can't do it all. Like I actually need help, or I just simply can do it. Some things will have to be cut out of my schedule because I just gonna do it all. And it's, it's, it's yeah. a shift in the way we think about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great even thought pivoting into the next question I had for you. If you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you'd like to have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease, or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? because you're tired of fat dieting. You know it's time for a change and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health and it's your prescription for transformation. My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless, so join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you we are seeing more women being diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood. And typically we find that they are often missed as having ADHD in childhood because that hyperactivity and those type of symptoms aren't always outwardly present. And so what are your thoughts on this and how ADHD may even present amongst those high functioning professional women?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, ADHD is a very complex disorder and not everybody presents, as you were saying, the same symptoms. During the pandemic, everybody had ADHD. Everybody was like, I can't focus. And, and with that, you know, you have to consider the context and, and a lot of things. Yeah. And, and in mean, ADHD... The 24-hour newsreel. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> was exactly. Now. And also imagine like you being at home and then you having the kids and having to kind of do this while at the same time be thinking about all this other stuff while also feeling anxious about finances and your future, right? So ADHD is a very complex disorder. Women in particular, they tend to... Kind of showed it more like an in internalizing those symptoms they tend to feel more like anxious more like depressed you know maybe more socially withdrawn and in a lot of times in you know people with ADHD can feel demoralized because as a kid you know if you're not creating problems because you are so restless let's say or you're all over the place you're probably as long as you can make it through you're probably going to you know be okay you're going to make it through and you're not going to create waves so it's not going to be a big problem and in the same way that kids that are you know very hyperactive at school or restless doesn't necessarily mean that they have adhd just because someone is just like making it through and doing okay doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have it many times especially with high functioning people they have been able to figure out ways to deal with the inattention. Whether that is, you know, I have my phone, I have all my reminders in my phone. I may forget my reminders, but I have all my (laughs) reminders of my phone. I know that I need to do this at this time of the day because that's when I actually feel the best to do this. And usually in school, as they are growing up, they can figure it out and they're able to make it through. The problem is when you start adulting and and when you go to college when things become a little bit more complicated and perhaps you don't have someone telling you okay you need to now you need to do this class or like hey come back to this class forget about the squirrel so you know what I mean they call that stuff and then as you get older then then you start working and then you're like oh my god I can't keep track of all these things. I have so many women that have been diagnosed ADHD like in their 50s or in their forties. Mm. And, and it's usually the interesting thing is that many of them don't come to me thinking, you know what, I think I have ADHD. I can't focus It's usually I'm undergoing menopause. I'm having brain fog, which is also another variable to consider, right. or I'm feeling very anxious, um, or I'm feeling depressed, you know, and I can keep track of things. So it's usually some other thing. I remember I had, I had this patient who she started seeing me for depression. And once she was doing better, I was like, I think you have ADHD. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, let me ask you a few other questions and whatever. And and she's like, oh yeah, I've almost missed, I've missed exits when I'm driving. I almost got into a car accident because I'm not paying attention. So when we actually put it all together then, you know, when we started the treatment, then of course things changed drastically for her. Cause she was like, Oh my God, this is what people feel like, like if you don't have this in your head. So I think that at, because most people that are high functioning, figure out ways to deal with it. I also think that they might not be presenting that with the main com- complaint, yeah. you know what I mean? O- until it is something that is actually really bad or because let's say their kid is being diagnosed, and then they're like, "Oh my god, yes, I experienced yeah. all those things." I do I that was- too, right? Yeah, I do, I do that yeah, too. I notice
0: it in their kid. They're
1: like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> it's like, "Huh, that ha- kind of makes me think now." But yeah, so it can be a wide range of, of things. But for for women, it's it's a little bit harder because you have to figure out so many other variables, and we're not even getting into perinatal, you know, when someone is pregnant and how your brain changes when you're pregnant and and, and all that other stuff. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pregnancy brain it is real. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Whole other topic.
1: Yeah exactly you
0: know one of the things I I do like that you touched on about ADHD is even that one it's a a true health condition and two that it can cause harm sometimes people think ADHD is oh they just forget or oh they don't focus on this thing but like you said yeah that person with ADHD can cause a massive accident because they might have missed that exit or it called them too late that they needed to make that right turn and so yeah I
1: have I have patients that they they were like an you know what, I'm not going to take the treatment like this weekend or this week because I'm off from work. And I'm like, okay, so are you like disconnecting your brain, putting it right. and like, not, are you sleeping the whole time? And like, no, but I'm not working. I'm like, I get that. But you're also doing other things. Like you're probably cleaning your house. You're probably going to the grocery store. You have to drive. So, I mean, there are so many other things besides work and school that require your attention that I think we dismiss because they're not as important, even though that is part of your, regular day
0: yeah you know even that you know did you remember to turn the stove off (laughs) you know were you busy doing something else and forgot that water was boiling or yeah (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah okay and now so with that in mind when should
1: someone consider getting formal adhd testing so adhd is a clinical diagnosis i actually don't think people need formal testing The formal testing, I think when it comes to like neuropsychological evaluations, I think becomes important if you're wanting to rule out that someone may have a learning disability, um, if you wanted to check, you know, see whether IQ test it shows, academic achievements, that kind of stuff, but you don't need that in order to be diagnosed with ADHD. And, and, and it is a shame because for a lot of people that are in school or at work in order to get accommodations, they, they are required at times to do testing when we don't find it as reliable. And so it is a clinical diagnosis. My approach with this is that because usually people come see me for so many other things, is that I always have the ADHD in the back of my mind, but ADHD many times doesn't exist on its own. You know, you have Other variables, like I was saying earlier. And many times, ADHD cannot be diagnosed in just one appointment. So, one of the things that I do is that I just focus on the whole person. And then we start kind of clearing out the problems. Like if you're having depression, we'll treat that. If you're having anxiety, we'll treat that. And then as we are undergoing treatment, I'm still doing my assessment to see if there is something else there. Because people with ADHD sometimes have a lot of anxiety, and the anxiety is not a primary anxiety disorder like generalist anxiety disorder, but rather related to the ADHD, because imagine if you're not able to keep track of things, how, you know, exhaustive and overwhelming it can be. So, and and that is where it it comes handy to, to see someone who has the expertise Mm -hmm. on this, because that is the art of medicine, uh, you know, trying to figure out what is what, when you are seeing a patient.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And that that's great that you touched on that too, because it is, you know, a lot of these things can can be compiled on each other. I think it also highlights the point of Working in a different environment like you do, where you're able to spend that time with your patients and actually figure out appropriately with several visits and and more lengthy visits, uh, appropriate diagnoses and treatment for them, versus, you know, in our traditional medical system where, you know, especially in primary care, they're flying in 10, 15 minutes. There is no way you can adequately, you know.
1: (laughs) No, I feel so bad for you guys because I have had patients that they usually most of my patients have seen primary care by the time they see me and I have patients where they're like you know what I have ADHD I talked to my primary care, you know they put me on a stimulant medication and I'm anxious and I'm like well, if you actually ask the questions for ADHD you probably will meet that criteria but you may not have enough time to do an extensive evaluation. And, and again, because many times it's not diagnosed in one session, even if the primary care had enough time, you won't have all the time to actually do all the evaluations that are needed, right? Right. I don't even have all that. so That's why it's done over, over a few sessions. And then people start the treatment like, oh my God, I can't focus. And I, it's even worse now. I'm anxious. And I'm like, yeah, it is because... This is not something that can be reduced to a 10 minute visit. Right, and, and I right. think also a lot of times patients sort of want this, you know, this kind of easy fix, like, Hey, just do this. And, you know, and that's it. And, and I think also us helping patients kind of seeing how ADHD is not as simple as many people try to make it seem, I think also helps us as doctors just to kind of understand that, Okay. This is the limit. These are the limits of how much I can do in this session. But these are things that we can get going and that we can kind of start exploring so that we you can get the right treatment. Um, But I always tell people it's, it's never going to be the same because I will always have more time than a primary care just because of the nature of the system of medicine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I feel for you guys. I don't know how you <laughs> do it.
0: Well, I, that's part of the reason, I, you know, I left the tradi- traditional system and I, um, my clinic is, it's concierge and I, I do, I take that time because I felt I needed it and I felt my patients deserve to have that um, for me to really give them that quality of care that they were seeking. And so yeah. that, that's and the you feel like?
1: And it feels like you're doing, to me, it feels like you're doing medicine the way that we were taught to do medicine. Right, exactly. Right? Um, I mean, for me, having the time with my patients, I feel like I'm able to develop that relationship. Like even my med checkups, I know that they can technically be done in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah, I cannot do it because that's not the way I was taught how to do it. So all my sessions have some level of therapy and all my sessions have enough time. Like I see everybody for 25, 30 minutes for Mm -hmm. follow ups. And again, I know that perhaps I don't need that much time, but to me, it is important to have the space where I can really connect with the patient get to know the patient exactly.
0: And then the patient feels more comfortable with you and more open to telling you those things that will be helpful too for their health because they've they've created that relationship with you. They yeah. know that they're not going to just be whisked in and
1: out. You know? exactly. And a lot of times you've probably seen this with patients where they're they're not thinking this as a you know, certain thing is a side effect of the medication. But then, as you are talking, about something else maybe then yeah. they're like oh you know what now that you mentioned that this I'm like ah mm-hmm. let's go after that let's figure right. out what's happening right. so yeah it's I I love having the system like that I'm yep. glad you have yep. that too yeah
0: yeah same and so what are some tips for treatment of mild depression and anxiety that you have for high-functioning professional women
1: Yeah, I I mean, first off, I'm always going to say, see a psychiatrist when in doubt, um, if you're not sure what's happening, because we are equipped to to really kind of tease out the pieces of things. The low hanging fruit is always, you know, take care of yourself, exercise, eat healthy, you know, watch how much you're drinking, or if you're using other substances, make sure that that doesn't get out of control. But I would say the most important thing is to acknowledge that things are not well, you know, like something is wrong. And even if that means that, you know what, I don't feel depressed, I'm actually not feeling anxious, but I keep having headaches from Monday to Friday every time I have to work. Mm. There's something there yeah, you know? and, and it's something to, to be explored. The other thing I would say is that if you have the ability to do so, look at your calendar and see if there's any way for you to block time in your day, or even if it is weekly or monthly, where you can seriously have just time to rest. I know people say, I don't want to do anything or doing nothing, but you're actually doing something, you're resting. So, you know, like trying to figure out ways where you can recharge yourself um, even if that is daily, weekly, or monthly. If you're able to do something, even if it is something small daily that can bring you a little bit of joy, great, that you know whatever that is, as long as it's safe for you and other people, that also would be advisable. I had a patient that once told me that she realized that she was depressed because she loved watching YouTube videos of cats. And she, yeah, and then she was like, I no longer enjoy that. And she was like, there has to be something wrong because I no longer enjoy cat videos. I'm like, see, that is something I would have not thought about asking. Right. Yeah. That's
0: a very perceptive observation.
1: Exactly. So I think those things are great for the anxiety in particular, the same, you know, things that I said for depression also apply, but we know that meditation can be very helpful. We know that meditation causes changes in your brain that increases the threshold before you can get like really, really anxious and overwhelmed. But even as you are doing all these things, just know that many times this may not be a long-term solution many people by the time they come to me they're like hey i've been meditating it helped for a little bit now it stopped working that beer after work used to help now i need five years you know and a little bit more on the weekends so n- keeping track also of how habits are changing how these changes that you're implementing in order to take care of yourself how well they are working and for how long they work, I think is really paramount. And and maybe using any kind of phone application to track how you're feeling, or a calendar or something, because most of us will remember how we felt like a few days ago, but not necessarily how we felt a month ago. So many times when people actually start tracking, they will say that, you know, oh, crap, you know what, I was looking at my app, and it seems like three weeks out of the month, I put my mood as meh. So yeah. We have to look into that. Are
0: there any particular
1: apps you recommend? I love Dalio. Uh, Dailyo is very simple because you can just write as much as you want or as little as you want. You can just put a happy face. The unfortunate thing is that it used to be free and now they're charging for it. Um. So but whatever other apps that are free that people can use that feels comfortable. I, I think that you have to use different apps in order to to kind of try and see would what would best work best for you yeah dbt coach which is our electrical behavioral therapy coach also has a way for you to track your mood and and i think that one is actually also pretty good but most of my patients would either use Dailyo or they actually have it on their planner in the same way that they write things to do they actually will add like a, a reminder either like check your mood and like write it on the planner Or they have like a separate notebook where they just write the date and then they just put a face or they just scribbled something just so the way they can keep track of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are great tips. I hope the audience, hope you guys are taking notes there for sure. And then going back to ADHD, what are some, maybe just some executive functioning tips that you have for those high functioning professionals?
1: Certainly, number one, maintain a routine. <laughs> I think I think that keeping a routine and trying to stay organized and trying to do the same thing at the regular time, I think is very helpful for anyone, but particularly with people with ADHD. The other thing is to be mindful of what works for you. Like, like, like you know, if you know that you're not going to be productive at 5 p.m. And let's say you are a physician, don't schedule patients at 5 p.m it's going to be significantly harder to do this many patients you know, i have a patient that tells me you know i'm productive only from 10 a.m to 2 p.m without medication so it's just like that's when i actually prioritize things for my business and everything else still is important but i don't feel the pressure of like having to do this like top priorities because i'm not as, as functioning or i'm not as productive at those times the other thing is to try to minimize the distractions many people, and, and I know we live in the era where everything is 24 seven, we have social media, we get texts and everything and emails and all that stuff. But I would say if you can silence your phone, silence the notifications for your email, and let's say you have to do work, say, okay, well, I'm going to work on this for 30 minutes and try to turn off any distractions as, you know, as much as possible, because right. not every single time you'll be able to do it. Um, but yeah, but try to minimize the distractions and also using reminders. And the reminders, you have to figure out a system that works for you because a lot of times I know we get a reminder on our phone, we, you know, we it's swipe like whatever, <laughs> yeah. and then we forget that we had a reminder for something. I, I, one, I mean, I one of the things that I personally do is that I even write on my planner like, think about this. Because I may forget to remember to think about something in particular in the future. So I actually have a day where, oh, okay, I have to think next Friday, I have to think about this thing that I wanna inquire about. So I put it down on my planner just so I can think about it. So the way I I leave, you know, just little things uh, for me to remember. And I don't have ADHD, but to me, it's just a way so that way you're not trying to rely so much on what your memory is, because that also creates stress when you're like, Oh crap, I forgot about that. And you know, I didn't write it down. Did I write it down? Right. So that's yeah. what I mean with kind of being organized, setting reminders right. and, and yeah. try to figure smartphones
0: were created to to help us organize. So yeah, yeah, utilizing those functions. And I, I know that do not disturb and focus function on I have an
1: iPhone. Uh, and I love those
0: functions on there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Me too. I if, if yeah. it if I didn't have those, I mean I, I still would be able to focus, mm-hmm. but I think like right now we live in such an era and especially during the pandemic I think it became even harder to just to kind of stay in the moment like if you think about it even when we go out to dinner or something we're always with our phones you know so I think that having that time where you can just kind of be with yourself I think it's important because I think also as humans we need to learn how to be without electronics and as much distraction also and, and be okay with it. Because I know a lot of times people feel uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, then that whole other level of anxiety. Well, what
1: did I miss? <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, this was great, Dr. Hidalgo. I really appreciate you coming on this show. And so tell my audience, how can they connect with you?
1: Thank you so much for having and for having this conversation. Like I said, I, I was so excited when, when we were talking about what topic would be because this is my bread and butter. The best way patients can reach out to me is that they can either follow me on social media. That is at Look Psychiatry on Instagram. Uh, my business, Lux Psychiatry, also has a Facebook page, Look Psychiatry. And if you want to work with me, you just have to go to my website, www.luxpsychiatry lookpsychiatry.com. And then you just click on your patient and then the system will walk you right through it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And I will put all of that in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Dr. Hidalgo, you can look there and you'll have those links. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hidalgo.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at Dr.TW at E-O-H-W-C on TikTok interested in becoming a member of the essence of health coaching program well head on over to www.eohcoaching.com the essence of health is in you